Isn't that very good? Yeah. Somebody else can read now because it's Hebrew. Anybody wants to? Perek Tetz. It's significantly better when you read. Daniel. Huh? It's significantly better when you read. It's a difference. It's just Hebrew. Bishnat Achad Dedar Yavesh Ben Achashverosh Mizera Madai Asher Omlach Al Malchut Kasdim. So this exactly who this Dedar Yavesh uh, is uh, that it says Dedar Yavesh Ben Achashverosh uh, as Rashi says Lo Zewa Achashverosh Shebimei Haman Ki Hu Melech Parasaya. So the assumption is this earlier obviously it's not it's not during Malchut that would be impossible because uh, Daniel's already only is there till the beginning of Koresh. So he couldn't possibly be there for the Dayavesh that was after Achashverosh. That wouldn't be possible, so Rashi says. See, we aren't using Rashi. It's good. I started looking. He was looking for messianic predictions. Just like uh, people today, they look for the different codes, try to find out the date, I calculate the date of Mashiach. Uh, I love the reference of one book of Tanakh. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, it happens from time to time. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. What? Yeah. Was it like books to learn at that point? Or was it like a historical... Like, no, they had the books. They had these things. The way he's referring to it. He was looking at the Svarim. So when it says it's brought down in Svarim, they always say it was brought down that it was supposed to be 70 years. Uh, and um, he didn't understand why the Geulah had not happened yet. He literally says, I read Sefer Yamiya. So they looked into it. We know He was analyzing and calculating and trying to make sense out of the prophecy because. Like Rashi says, see, I'm going to use Rashi now because now I have it. In, now I have Rashi used. I was using Rambam before. Nistekalti b'cheshbonot. Right, so it's because he thought that based on the prophecy of Yirmiyahu, seventy years of Bavel, Okay, so really it should be that the Bait should be uh, built in the first year of the Yavesh Hamadai, Hamadi rather. Right, should have been. Mishepashta malchut Bavel yadal Yisrael. Shekavash Nebuchadnezzar, Yo Yakim Leod Ola Evet. So he's doing calculation. This is the Yamashamadi. Yeah, the Hamadi, yeah. He's saying he thought he's now in the in under the kingship of Darius Shabadin, he's wondering why the if Bavel fell, and the his assumption was that Bavel, the period of time of Bavel that passed, from the time of the of the Nibuabir Miao was already seventy years. Right? So really it should be that the uh, the Bed of Magdash was built already. So his assumption was it should be built already. From, from the Nehuah, rather than from the downfall. That's what it seems like it's saying, right? Yeah. That he assumed that... Um, let's, see if the, let's see if there's a clearer explanation here. Um, from the time of... Oh, we thought from the time of Yehoiakim. That's what the Mephashim said. From the time of Yehoiakim, which is earlier, right? The earlier uh, 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 stage... There was Yehoiachin and then Yehoiakim. Yeah. So how long was Yehoiakim around? Three, uh, a short time, right? Yehoiakim was 11 years. Yehoiachin was three years. Yehoiachin was three years. Yehoiachim was... 11 years. 11 years and then what? How long was Tidkiyahu? Tidkiyahu was 11 years. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's the 11 years he's missing then. Right? So you thought it was from Yehoiakim. Because Tidkiyahu was like a puppet king. He wasn't really... Uh, Yehoiakim was the last real... 
real king. So there's two 11-year span. That's why I got confused, because uh, I think of the 11 years as being from Yehoyachin to Yehoyachin to the end of Yehoyachin. There was another 11 years. Okay. Okay, so, because Yehoyachin <coughs> was deposed and replaced with Yehoyachin. And then Yehoyachin was deposed and replaced with Yehoyachin. Yeah, okay. And so there was two 11-year periods of puppet kings. Yehoyachin was 11 years and also and also Yehoyachin. So Yehoiachin did not last long. No. Very short time. Okay. So, yeah, I forget the years. It gets confused in my head. I remember the number 11, but I, I forget which one is the 11. Um, all right. So basically it was 11 years off in the calculation, meaning it should have been at that moment already 70 years if we're calculating from the time of Yehoiachim's uh, de- uh, being deposed. Okay. So, so he's concerned about that. So he's engaging in what we would call like uh, messianic predictions. He's trying to determine when the Geulah is going to happen. He had certain expectations. Expectations not fulfilled. So he's going to pray to God because the assumption is what? What's he going to assume? He should have gone his way to Right. So his assumption is that if there's not a Geulah, it means there was some chet. Right? I mean, he's not, he, at first he's not assuming that he's wrong in the calculation. Right? That must be why he's praying. I'm just assuming. Right? Why would he pray instead of just say, uh, give me a calculator, I made a mistake. Right? He obviously thinks his calculation is right, but something has gone wrong and maybe there's going to be a further delay in the Geulah that I didn't expect because of some Shema Yigrom Achet. Like all Tzadikim always think Shema Yigrom Achet. Right? Like, even Yaakov, they always ask, how can Yaakov Avinu say, I'm afraid of Esav? Shema Yigrom Achet. That's always the answer. Shema Yigrom Achet. So... Uh, <clears throat> so therefore he has the tefillah, which a lot of it we take for the Monday, Thursday, Tachanuf. You know, the, the minhag of the mashadi is that they say, that they move the part of the Tachanuf of Monday, Thursday to the end. And, yeah. I mean, to the beginning. Instead of, they take the part that everyone says at the end, yeah. and they put the beginning. And it says the minhag of Eretz Yisrael. But nobody in Eretz Yisrael does that. But really the mashadi minhag is right. So the only one it's the original minhag. It's the original minhag. Because, because it was originally like that in all the Sidurim, and then based on the Ari, they said, no, you have to go right from the Vidui to the Yud Gimomidot. So they took it out and they moved it to the end, before the Vorachum. But really the original Minhag, like the Mashari Minhag that they have is actually the original Minhag. So you shouldn't feel like it's not a good Minhag, it's a good Minhag. Anyway, that's not good. That's just reminded me because we always talk about Monday, Thursday, Tachanun. And I've heard people say, oh, you know, the Mashadi said that, it's the, that it, this is the Minhag of Eretz Yisrael, and it's not. Probably was before they changed it to, to reflect the, the uh, Minhag Ari. All right. Monday, Thursday, Wishkinen has a Brit Any babies coming up that we should think? The Chorvashula, Brit today. There was a Brit in the Chorva, so we didn't have Tachanun. But that, that, was, that wasn't really that helpful because it's only, uh, it's, it was yeah, only Wednesday. It should have deleted one. It was a very nice tefillah. Did, did you ever pray in the Chorva? Such a nice tefillah. Even though Ashkenazi. No, no, really. Like, no, no, I'm not, no, I'm saying normal. No, I mean, because normally it's hard to pray. I guess it's normally hard to pray and Nusachet is not yours. You feel out of sync with the tefillah. But because they take their time and they're not rushed, you're able to do your own tefillah without rushing and still keep up with them. That's nice. That's actually nice. All right. Okay.
Uh, yeah, and they do the amen and sync, like it's really like yeah. choir. Like, it sounds like a choir. Yeah, really. Like a choir. It's, good. it's nice. So, Vaitnad Panai, El Adonai Elohim, Levakesh Tfila Vetachanonim, Bitsom, Vesak, Vaifer. So that makes more sense that he thinks that some sin, and, and he would be, the, you have to realize, he would be really the address of the Chet because. He's like the Resh Galuta, basically. He's the head of the Galuta because he's been for three, for three uh, uh, regimes already. The head of the, you know, the, the top Jew in, in Bavel. Certainly, he's obviously a Tamil Chacham, pious person, a spiritual leader. So clearly, it would be a. Uh, it would indicate. Actually, it's even four. I guess four, fourth king that he's serving under. Um, and if Achashverosh is in there, a different Achashverosh, that'd be a, a, another one. So there's a bunch of different kings that he served. Under in his capacity of uh, in in you know as a as a royal advisor, and what would seem to be is that uh, is that he is you know looked at as a leader, and the leader always has to be the one to be mipashpesh uh, bema'asav when there's something going wrong. That oh, if the galut is not redeemed, so maybe that's because the leader is failing in some way. So he's doing the right thing. Like he's he's looking at himself first, which, others, right? Which is what which is what it says in Masechet Tanit. If there's rain, if there's a lack of rain, right? Who first the Yichidim mitanim? First, the first cycle of fast is just the uh, the leaders, the tzaddik, you know, the chachamim, tamir chachamim, community leaders. They fast first to look in their into their own deeds before the community starts fasting. Because that's what Daniel does. It's so cool, like tzaddikim, like they take world events as opportunity to like introspection. Yeah, well, to a certain extent, it's there. You know, it, politicians are experts at blaming other people. It's an art blaming other people because you know you're going to succeed in some things and fail in other things. So you have to be prepared in advance how you're going to blame the failures on other people and make sure to get credit for the things that go well. It's part of the art of politics. But a real genuine person just wants to live by the truth. So. If, if they're actually responsible for some damage that occurred, they want to understand and take responsibility, try to fix it. They're not interested in passing the buck to somebody else. They asked their Soviet government, so what's the Hebrew word? Their Soviet said something like, oh, he said, what's the Hebrew word for politics? He's like, there is no, but the closest one I can think of is Shekhar. Exactly. What is the Ukraine? Meaning the basement is still destroyed, correct? Yeah. For, yeah, he doesn't so get to see what, it. Why don't they, is he praying that the kingdom didn't give them permission to build it yet? Or they want to just take well, action? The, the, they're, 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 they don't have independence. They can't take action. Yeah, so he's praying. They live in Bavel. Independence? They live in Bavel. They live in Bavel. And a Yirmiyahu had predicted a 70 year galut in Bavel, followed by some redemption after that. So they're waiting for the. So Daniel is. Um, Daniel is wondering how come the time passed according to my calculation, the time passed and nothing happened. It must be my fault. Or, you know, there must be some chet. And, and uh, maybe he even thought, and this is total speculation, don't quote me on this because I'm literally just thinking this now, maybe he thought he was supposed to be the person to do it. Oh, wow. That's quite possible that he thought he would have been the one because who else was going to do it? That's, uh, that's exactly what uh, they said in the Yosef also. Okay. Like, when he said that he recommends that they part of the Yeah, but it's true about... Right, a lot of... A lot of yeah, we mentioned it on Shabbat. A right. lot of leaders... Um, in, in Tanakh think that way meaning Shlomo Melech and, and, and many Yoshiahu that they're they might be the chosen one to you know bring about the Geulah it's very common to believe that 
uh, when when they're going in the right path, what happened to uh, to, to Yoshiahu? Right, a similar similar kind of situation. We thought he was going to be able to turn things yeah. back and restore when he uh, he was killed in battle because he didn't want the uh, he didn't want war. He said, what do you mean? I've restored the Jewish people to the Torah. Uh, it's supposed to be the Brachot There's going to be this Geulah's You know, Chizkiah also thought that he was going to bring that. So all of these, um, all of these great uh, uh, kings had the potential, or at least thought they had the potential. Whether they did or not is uh, up to Hashem, not us. But it could be, and I'm totally, t- I didn't see this in any Pirush, and I didn't see this in any, any, I don't have any source except my own guess. could be that Daniel not only thought that uh, not only thought that uh, the Gilad should happen, but probably figured he would be playing a part in it because he was the leader of the community and all that. Very possible. Right. But, but therefore, if it didn't happen, maybe there's something he's not doing right. No, no gibor on there. Right? We, le- we learned about that in, uh, uh, in that Gemara the other day. What book is he uh, quoting from there? Uh, what, what passage is he quoting from there? Shomer Abrid Vachesed. That's right out of the Torah. You know, literally quoting what it says in the Torah that Hashem keeps uh, for those who are uh, who love Him and keep his commandments, he preserves the Brit and the, and the Chesed. We have, meaning Hashem is faithful. He keeps the Brit and the Chesed for those who uh, observe his mitzvot and love him. But we have erred and sinned and virshanu could mean we caused others to do evil. Umarano, we rebelled against God. And we've, we have uh, strayed away from his mitzvot in mishpatim. Vilo shamanu elavadecha nevi'im, asher dibu bishimcha, el melachenu, sarenu vavotenu, vel kol ha'maratim. We didn't listen to the nevi'im that spoke to us either. So we didn't listen to the Torah and the mitzvot. And we didn't listen to the nevi'im. That's been our track record. The Chadunay Yatzidakah, vilanu boshet apanim, kayom hazeh. So he's saying, we are the ones to be embarrassed. Hashem is the one who, who is fair and, and kind with everything he does. We haven't lived in a way to deserve the chesed Hashem. Yeah, these are, we have slichot that use this exact same language, obviously. But there's many words in here that are literally phrases from the Torah that he plucked out and he's, he's putting in here. Okay? So he's doing a vidui. He's acknowledging. What does vidui mean? It means acknowledging that you are the cause of your trouble. Right? That, that's, that's basically... The thing. That's what you said you're, you're in the Bar Mitzvah speech. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I love that point. You said that uh, one of the things that your house is predicated on is as a one here, like, Right, that's I always tell my kids. I'd much rather you make a mistake and say, I did something wrong, it's my fault, than never make a mistake. Or pretend you never made a mistake. Right. You know. Yeah, it's much better to it makes me happy if my kids say I made a mistake and I uh, uh, sorry about that, you know. Okay. Because they're taking responsibility. It's, it's so important, that's a critical thing. And and here we're saying Deviating from God's will caused us the problem. It's not a problem in God. The problem in us, right? And that's what a vidui is. 
And that's what the Rambam says, Ta'anit is. What is the purpose of a Ta'anit? Why am I fasting? Because there's a Torah. Because I'm saying what's causing God's presence to withdraw from the Jewish people is my, is our chet. That's the only cause. And uh, using it as an opportunity to reflect on our responsibility for our fate. Not saying it's some, you know, something that happened by accident or it was out of my control, I have an excuse, I can blame it on outside, you know, causes other than myself, rather taking responsibility. That's what a Ta'anit is about. Right, and he's doing a ta'anit. Hashem, lanu boshet apanim, lemlachenu, lesarenu, lapotenu. Ours is the embarrassment for our kings and our princes and our forefathers, asher chatanu lach, because we sinned to you. Okay? Boshet um, apanim means to feel inadequate. Right? Busha means to be aware of one's own inadequacy. When we, are, when we are ashamed, we say shame is the feeling of one's own inadequacy and embarrassment is when other people notice it. Right? We have two terms for that. We don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be embarrassed within yourself. You don't want to be uh, your, your, your defect to be seen by others. I want knows that one. Right? So the... Uh, to Hashem is the mercy and the slichot and the ability to forgive because we have rebelled against. What does that exactly mean? It's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. But what does it mean? What's what is he adding with that with that pasuk? He's saying that Hashem ex- gave them. He's saying that our the fact that we exist now is a result of the of the chasdei Hashem because we actually have been we rebelled a long time ago and we're still here. So there's evidence of the chastei Hashem in our very existence that we're here now. So we can't. We have nothing to complain about. He's saying, we can't complain because whatever troubles have come upon us are of our own doing, and we can't be ungrateful for the fact that we're here because Hashem is very forgiving and has a lot of mercy. How can you ask for more? We haven't. You know, we haven't deserved what we have. That's that. That's what he's saying. Now. Um, there's another reference to a, a book of Tanakh in the book, right? We, we, he brought upon us all of the klalot. Now, what does it say in the Torah is going to happen when the Klalot befall the Jewish people? They're going to go into Galut. Right, and then what's going to change? It says in the Torah that when the people are in Galut and they've suffered all the Klalot, they're going to realize, Right? That's what they're going to say. Because God, because God is not with me, this, all these things happen. In other words, they're going to understand the klalot. He's acknowledging what the Torah says, all the klalot are going to come upon us when we rebel against God. And he's basically doing exactly what the Torah says you're supposed to do when the klalot come, which is to say, we identify that these klalot are signaling that we're out of sync with Hashem. Right? So he's going through the process that is the correct process for a, a chacham, for a tzaddik, to do in the face of the klalot, which is take responsibility and acknowledge that the cause of the, that we're living in a uh, subpar situation is because of um, is because of the klalot came upon us because we broke the we didn't follow that's all we were supposed to. 
Vayakim et Devarav, Asher Diber Alenu. He kept his words, it should be Devarav, I guess. Asher Diber Alenu, Veal Shofetenu, Asher Shifatunu. Leavi Alenu Ra'ak Dola. He brought upon us and upon our leaders um, exactly what he said. Asher Lo Nesta Tachat Kol Hashamayim, Kasher Nesta Biyom Shalayim. Because there was nowhere else that what was, uh, it wasn't done anywhere else, what was done in Yerushalayim. Meaning, the extent of the devastation in Yerushalayim wasn't natural. Right? He's saying that the, it was extreme what occurred. And it could only be understood as a hashkach uh, pratit, as a fulfillment of the klalot that Hashem uh, pronounced. I did the same exact thing and I went to Yad Hashem. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, I'm like, like, you see like the barbaric way of like, the Nazis like handled like towards the Jews. I said, like, I was thinking so that I told myself, I love them, like, there's no other possible way to explain the hate that these people had to Like, we didn't do anything to them. You know what I'm saying? And, like, they wanted to, like, like annihilate us, like, to, you know what I'm saying? To the, like, in every fire of their body. Yeah, I, I remember when I went to the Holocaust Museum for, I don't know if it was the first time, but in uh, one of the times I went there, it was a, it wasn't. <coughs> Long, it was around Pesach time of the year, I remember. And I, it wasn't on Pesach, but it was around that time. And I was thinking, you know, a story about a tyrannical leader who wants to annihilate the Jews sounds like a fairy tale. Like, why would anybody do that? But then you see that it just happened, like, not that long ago. And it's still happening all the time. They're still trying. You know, they're still trying. Like, to that extent. But yeah, to the, the level that it was. But then you look back and you see Paro, you see Haman. Like, all of these things actually happened seem like, you know, a story that we tell, but then when you see that it's literally the exact same thing happened within the, the same century, you know, less than 100 years ago, it's pretty crazy. So, and that's what he's saying. He's saying we recognize that it wasn't just an accident what occurred in Yerushalayim. Very deep, okay? We didn't call out to God to return from our sin and to understand your truth. Okay? That's pretty deep. Yeah. Whatever that means. So the... Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, oftentimes I say, people ask for a proof of that the Torah is true, and I tell them, Actually, the Holocaust, people say, doesn't the Holocaust prove that God doesn't exist? Or don't all these terrible things prove that God doesn't exist? I'm saying the opposite. Uh, the Torah says the most extreme, horrific things are going to happen, and they actually do happen. To, only to us. And only the Jewish people. So it's, a, uh, it's an evidence for the, uh, you know, for the truth of the Torah that, that happened. So the idea is that we didn't reflect on the truth of the ideas of Torah, and we didn't return b'tshuva. So to uh, returning from avon is removal of a negative. Laskil ba'mitecha is a positive to understand the truth of Hashem. Vayishkod Hashem alaraah vayviyeha aleno ki tzadik Adonai Eloheinu al kol maasav asher asa v'lo shamanu bekolo. Hashem was very quick to uh, uh, bring all of the uh, all of this evil upon us. Because Hashem is righteous in all, of his, in, in all of his actions that he does. And we didn't listen to his voice. In other words, we had a deal with Hashem. We didn't keep our part of the deal. And that's the explanation of the tragedy. So why is he going through all this? We know this. 
Right? This is part of the process of Teshuvah, to acknowledge it, to think about it. What do we say about Vidui? What does Rambam say about Vidui? Anybody who says more. He's, he's elaborating on the point. Perhaps this is a tefillah that he shared with other people too. We don't know. Meaning they just write it in the book or is this a tefillah that he shared with his community, with the Jewish community that they understood? I would feel like it seems like it's something that uh, he would have been... Not saying for himself. Yeah, not just for himself. I would, was I would, he like a Jewish lead meeting at that time? Like very close to all the Jews that are there, or is he just in like the king's house? Well, that's what I was saying before. It seems like he saw himself as a leader of the Jewish community. I'm sure when the Jewish people had a concern that went to it him, him speaking <clears> to the Jews <throat> at all. it doesn't mention, but he has his friends in the it, it, uh, you know uh, in there, and I'm sure he was a representative of the Jewish people to the, the, the palace and and vice versa, and probably did a lot of the same type of Yosef like moves to keep the Jews in the relatively good graces of the yeah. uh, of the non-Jewish government. And sure so Ahasuerus had Mordechai you know, go tell all the Jews to fast. Right. Like, is, we don't is know what he did. Like, 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 well, they weren't being, they, it's a little different because they weren't being threatened by Bavel. So it's not right. like he's saying anything against Bavel or against the government. He's just saying, why haven't we been redeemed? I don't think it's really offensive to the... Uh, why haven't we regained our, our homeland? You know, it's, it's not the same thing as when you're being threatened by the government you know, yeah. under which you, you live. But uh, I, would, I would guess that it stands to reason that these are ideas that he was talking about with the people also, um, not just on his own. I would, I would guess. So, I would assume. Um, I didn't think he had died. Was Haman killed him or something? Really? I don't think it says in the, anywhere in Tanakh. So cool, he's buried in Iran. Oh. Then yeah. There's a cover of Daniel and Iran. Is it near the... Is it near the... Really? Yeah, they also have the, uh, the Esther and Mordechai one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it near it? It can't be yeah, it's, it's right there. Oh, it's, it's right, right there. there. It's it's right there. Right. It does? Yeah, it blocks everything. They don't, want, they don't want people getting too smart. Various <laughs> locations have been named for the site. The tomb in Susat, Iran is the most widely accepted one. Yeah, they see it right there, right, right next to the palace. Uh, that's where, that's where really? That's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know about that. <coughs> I, I wonder always about these identifications, yeah, but that'd be pretty yeah, cool. I, I, don't know. I don't know. Anybody want to read a little? Any, any volunteers? I'm, I'm the worst reader in the room, but I'll be oh, That's time, I'll say. No. <laughs> Chaim should read. Chaim's our guest. Not guest, but we only have him for now. Yeah, I, so. think, I think Leon... Uh, I'm the worst reader in the room. Right? I think he's... So, please go. Tatla Bochan. Tatla, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. Yeah. You better know this Pasuk. We read it every week. <laughs> now what... Okay, what is that? What's the point of that Pasuk? What is that adding? It hasn't been said so far. What? And you made yourself a name. Right? Meaning this situation is undermining everything you did because you made for yourself a name. You made, your, you know, you made for yourself a, a recognition in the world. When you redeemed us, you became known in the world. And now what are we? We're... Uh, uh, you know, we're just uh, 
sinking into the Galuta Babel, losing our identity. We don't have anyone's respect. Nobody's recognizing God of Israel. It's not similar. Very similar. He's using the same uh, playbook. Exactly. Or the other one. Vamro el Yoshvehar it says Ot. How does the Pasuk go? The other one. In the, uh, with the, uh, with the Margli. Nibilti Yacholet Hashem. The one where it says, oh, they're going to say that you weren't able to bring them into Eretz Kanan to kill. I asked that question to that person, so I really like this answer to you. I asked him, like, every time, like, in Israel, like, it sounds like it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like an acting show, you know? Yeah. Every time in Israel, like, make it, like they, they sit up big time and do, like, because the thing is, like, Hashem says, like, that's it, like, they're done. You're going to kill them. Get, get, get me a bit of them, like, that's it. And also, Moshe's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't, it's not, 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 it's so no, if God wants to destroy them, like destroy them. Like, exactly, right. Why do you have to say you're going to destroy yeah, them? Yeah, exactly. Back out. Exactly. And, and it's just going to happen. And what do you mean? Like, oh, I should, like, oh, like, oh, okay, they made a big mistake. But, like, oh, so just because uh, they did one series, so that means that they well, And what did what, 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 what Rabbi Rabbi say? I love it. He said, um, he said, he said, that's like Moshe's outfit, to some extent. It's like Moshe's job is to be, like, the, the, like, the, the advocate for the Jews. And Hashem was like, like showing Moshe, like saying, like, look, I want to wake them out. I want, I want to wake them out. I want, wake them out, and I want to really give them like every punishment I can give them. It's like, what? And Hashem said, like, ask, like Moshe, like, what are you, what are you gonna do about it? What are you, you know, gonna yeah. do about it? Such a beautiful, I love it. Such a beautiful yeah. idea. And like, and like that's Moshe's topic. Like, Moshe's topic is to stand up for the Jews, take the Jews, even if they're like undeserving, even if they're rebels, you know, in, yeah. in some way. Like, is it, is it possible like a heref mi meni vash mi right? Yeah. Let me go so I can kill them. So, as, <laughs> as if he's holding it back. It says that uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu was holding Hashem by the neck, by the lapel, and saying, oh, and he said, let me go so I can go destroy them. But the idea is that, um, no, I think that's right. But So the idea is that um, in order for Moshe Rabbeinu to be really the best leader, see, a good teacher, let's say, or a good leader will be an advocate for the uh, for the students, and will because they, they have to be able to be milamid zechut on the student in order to be a good leader and a teacher to them. Meaning that ultimately Moshe Rabbeinu is the first address, really for any failing in Amisav, because he's the one who's responsible for them. He's the one who's teaching them, and so if things go wrong, he has to be the one to find a solution to the problem, even if the solution is clarifying what really the purpose of the existence of the Jewish people is. Because if he prays to God, uh, forgive them because of Kiddush Hashem, because it's going to be a Chilul Hashem, they need to understand that the reason why they were forgiven was because of Chilul Hashem and not because of their own merit. So Moshe Rabbeinu has to find a way that he can secure forgiveness for the Jewish people without reinforcing their bad behavior, meaning at the same time to correct their bad behavior, but also to bring them to an understanding of, uh, you know, of uh, to to secure their survival, but with an understanding of the behavior that they did that was wrong, so they can correct, so it can be corrected, and that's that that's part of his job as an advocate for sure. It would be like I don't know. Let's say you were a teacher of a kid, and the principal wanted to throw him out of the school, right? So you would you would normally let's say you had a, a kid you're working with like individually because he has a lot of problems, okay? And Jews have a lot of problems, so it's a good metaphor. So you you're working with him. 
And the principal's like, you know what, I've had enough of this kid. I'm just going to kick them out of the school. That's it. They have to find another school. And you'll go, Chaim will come and say, look, I know that this kid has not really done the best, but, you know, you've given them so many opportunities that they're just going to say that, you know, uh, you know, it was all a trick. It wasn't real. You gave it to them for nothing and, and all that. And I'm going to work with them to make sure that they understand that they're being given, a, you know, another opportunity and I'm going to make sure that this time they use it better. Whatever, you would go in and you would get it, and that would make you a better teacher. You understand? In other words, not only would that maybe say buy time for the kid, but it would also make you think about what I need to do to make sure that the kid doesn't mess up again. So it's, it's a win-win in that way. Yeah, and that's, yeah. a, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu operates throughout the Torah. You're, 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 you're nurturing the alliance. Yeah. Between that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, go on, go on. Just a, wait, go on. Yeah. Sorry, someone's asking, when are we going to create RV? In this uh, scenario, uh, so we're going to be there at 5:00. Have RV there at 7:25. Interesting. Around the RV here before we leave, though. Then we're going to stop it. But it starts at 5:30, and it's a half hour after back in here. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's not a class. You guys want to speak Q&A, right? Yeah, I just want to be Q&A. You guys need that time. I would. If you guys want to speak them, also after, I would recommend you guys going a little late and saying to them, "You can speak," and just like say hi when it happens. But we want. So one missed out. Yeah, when I moved. Well, there goes my plan of having a wild party while you were gone. So what? <laughs> so what time is good for you? What time do you guys want to go there? Well, listen to that. If you want to like Trump stop it. here and pay our beat and then go? Like five-ish? Or five-teen-ish? Whatever. Yeah, and it's half hour from here? Hell yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a eight, it, it, it takes like a 15 minutes to walk the train from here or less, whatever. Then it's like an eight-minute train ride. Oh, but just to get to the light rail, that only takes uh, yeah. uh, 12, door, 15 door, minutes. Door, it should take you at least under, uh, under half, half hour. an hour. You know, under, okay. so, so if we stop at 5, do our video have time? Yeah. Yeah. So you can aim, and you can aim, yeah. Down and down, down and down, then be advised, like, try to get there around like 5. Where is it? 45, yeah. Where is it? It's North Samantha. Same as Passport, if you look in. Wow. We know we recognize the pasuk, right? Yeah. That comes later. He didn't get called that yet. Uh, yeah, okay. uh-huh. the, the yeah, yeah. He gets called it later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. He, was <laughs> he was very cute. So he says, so this is a different idea, right? The idea that Yerushalayim ve'amecha lechirpa lechol sevivotenu, Yerushalayim and har kotshecha, right? Because he talks about the Mikdash. Right? Okay. 
And Rashi says, Liman Shem Akadosh Anikra. Right, so there's two things. There's Am Yisrael, that is representative of Hashem, and therefore it's a chilul Hashem for them to be in a state of galut, powerless, downtrodden. Also the Bet HaMikdash and Yerushalayim being in a state of destruction is a chilul Hashem, because a person will look and say, this is the city of God, this is the Bet HaMikdash. Right, okay, there's no kota. Right, okay, yeah, they didn't even have a kota. So that couldn't even be. It's very similar to Moshe Rabbeinu's kind yeah, of idea. He's, he's, like, he's like he's like uh, being uh, what's called uh, he's being um, nervous about God's image. Uh-huh. Yeah, but but that's the whole purpose of the Jewish people. Our purpose as Jews is to be nervous about God's image because our right. purpose as Jews is to represent Hashem. And and the amazing what what I always think of when we say these tefillot, what we talk about, you know. Uh, do this leman shemecha is you have to mean it. Right. In other words, it's not just to say it. He means it. He feels that the biggest thing. tragedy is not what happened to the Jewish people because they actually deserved it. Right? Because right? Right. he keeps saying it's uh, everything you, that happened. We deserved it. We deserved it. But the tragedy is that people have lost the concept of one God. They lost the concept of the God of Israel. They lost the concept of Mikdash, Bet Mikdash of Yerushalayim, what it represented. It's as if, the, it would be like if barbarians took over the world and the idea of education was lost. That's basically what happened. I mean, <laughs> but there were still Jews. But like Daniel all the time is trying to teach these kings chokhmah and wisdom and, and, and to recognize, you know, the proper way to look at life, the proper way to interpret events, how to adapt to messages, from whatever it is that he's teaching them to operate with chokhmah and not to look at these uh, magic, you know, uh, miracle workers and, uh, and soothsayers and astrologers, whatever he has, trying to teach chokhmah to those people and he actually manages to succeed with two of them, you know, and, and so you have... Uh, uh, you know, and yet, and yet, in terms of a global picture, the current state of affairs is that awareness of God has all but been snuffed out because the Jewish people are in a state of total downtroddenness, and the Beit Hamikdash is gone. So, if you ask somebody, "What about the God?" What, the idea of one God? Well, if there's one God, how come his supposed people are living as slaves to idol worshippers? And how come his Beit HaMikdash is a pile of rubble? If, if this one God is real. If, in fact, it's probably the one God who isn't real. Maybe because they're looking at the externals. What are the, and I've told you before, I've said before, for, for almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church, or the Christians, you know, Christendom said, the proof that the Jews were rejected by God is that they've been in exile, their temple was destroyed because they didn't accept JC. Their temple was destroyed. They've been in exile from their land for 2,000 years as a punishment. Meaning, their exile proves Avodazor is true. Their, you know, their particular brand of Avodazor is true. And that, the, and that the Torah is false. Or at least the Torah is expired and has been replaced with Christianity. That was the argument of the Christians for a long time. They can't swallow the idea that there's a Medinat Israel. That's why the Pope doesn't recognize it. it still doesn't recognize uh, the Vatican doesn't recognize Israel. They can't. It's too painful for them. 
Because it's part of their belief that the proof is that they are, the Jewish people lost their independence, lost everything because they didn't accept the Savior. Okay? So, and that's what anybody would think. It's even going back at least, not to, not to excuse that way of thinking, but at least the Christians believed the Torah was true and the Jews were the chosen people. You know, they just distorted it. These people are total idolaters, primitive idolaters who believe in every kind of superstition, nonsense, and all that, totally against Chokhmat Hashem, zero interest, and, and, and they are the, they're in power, and they're the ones who are on top, and the Jewish people are, are, are belittled and low. So what is that going to say? You know, it's just like when the image of the religious Jew, when the image of the religious Jew, even among other Jews, is this like nebbish loser, stains all over the shirt, you know, Whatever, one seat seat hanging out, the other one tucked in, the other one hanging out the back like a tail, you know? Ill-fitting shirts, stuff in the beard from what he had from lunch a few weeks ago. You know what I'm talking about. That's, that, that's, a person looked at that and says, this is, this is the Tamil Chacham. It's nonsense because that doesn't mean he's not a Tamil Chacham. It's not really true. But that's what, that, that's what the appearance. Revav al Hayam Yeah, but, it's, but the Rambam says, the Rambam codifies that too. The higher the level of Tamil Chacham, the more he has to be concerned for Chilul Hashem. I just, I just learned the Gemara, the Gemara says that a person, in Chulin, that a person should always dress above, uh, get clothing above what he needs. Tribi Sukkah. And, uh, and so he should, I think he should eat less than he eats. Right. And he should have his children depend on him. Have a because, and, um, because he, his children depend on him. And he should be dependent on the Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah but the Rambah, what's the idea of the Kiddush Hashem? That the, why is the because the more your actions are presumed to reflect Hashem, the higher your standard is. So Tamil Chacham, we assume, oh, he's going to be much more a rep- representative of Hashem than average person. So for average Jew, there's a basic standard. If they act like a total jerk, that's a Chilol Hashem. A Tamil Chacham is expected to be much better than that. Yeah, it has to be. It's good that the rabbi has to be more machmir. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's machmer and halacha, but just in everything. We just need to be more attentive and more considerate in general. I don't, I'm not sure if it's always chumrot and halacha, but could be. It's okay to be machmer la atzma and la hakir la Exactly, right, exactly. Meaning, like, there's a different that apply that. Yeah, the Tamil Chachamim had to hold themselves to a higher standard and yeah. everything. And everything because their actions are scrutinized more because they're expected to be living on a different uh, plane. That's, and, and that's true, they should be. That's why the smallest chet, uh, you know, you, you'll see a, a, a great person has a tiny chet that for me would be nothing. Won't even notice it, and it becomes uh, uh, an enormous uh, chet for a great person.
Um, okay. So, uh, we're up to, what? Yutain? Oh no, we read that, I read that one. Yuchet? Hatei Eloi Uznecha Ushama. Okay, so he's saying, uh, tilt your ear and open your eyes and see our desolateness and the city that your name is called upon. It's not because of our righteousness that we are placing our uh, supplications before you, but because of your great mercy. Okay, in other words, we're not really worthy of asking for anything special. But, but that's what a tachanun means generally. The tachanun always means asking for something that you don't really deserve. And we're asking for God to do it. And all of our tachanun is based on right? even though we don't deserve it and we realize we don't deserve it, we care about the chilul shem shamayim. And we realize that what, even though we caused it, we want to prevent the effect of chilul shem shamayim. That's what we're asking for. We have to mean it when we say that. Daniel means it because he sees what a terrible disaster it is that the world has lost the idea of that was represented by Yerushalayim and that was supposed to be represented by Am Yisrael. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. So similar, I mean, this is the similar thing, right? Listen, forgive, and uh, don't delay. For your sake, Hashem, because your name is called on your city and on your people. Right, so he's, that's how he's framing the, the, the request. Okay, go, go ahead. <coughs> now remember, all of this is premised on the idea that the galut really should have come to a conclusion already, and that there must be some cause, there must be some reason in, that the Jewish people didn't deserve, that the Jewish people lost the zechut for the, for the gilda. And so he's saying, al don't delay it, because the chilul Hashem is too much to bear. Okay? What did he say, ba'od? Who's going to read it? So he says, while I, w- I was still praying and I was, I was uh, confessing the sin and my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Okay? That shows you that he saw himself as a representative. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Mm. He came in, uh, and, and touched him at the time of Mincha. So he's having all of a sudden some vision of an angel, uh, you know, as a result of this tefillah. The tefillah brings him into a state where he's able to have a vision of this angel speaking to him. Yeah. Did you mention Gabriel by name? <clears throat> the other vision? I don't remember. I don't think yet, but he, he comes in a lot. He comes in more. He's, we're going to see more of him. Okay. And he, so he saw him and he understood and he spoke to me and he said, I'm going to teach you. So the point is that Daniel, from his tefillot, 
is getting a response from God. Right? So that, that, but part of the idea is that putting yourself in the state of tefillah can also make a person receptive to visions and deeper understanding. And that's why like, tefillah is actually modeled in a way after nivuah. It's this type of focus that's very similar to nivuah. The Rambam describes it as in, in, in similar terms. Okay, תחילת So he's saying he doesn't want him to think that he's rejected by God. He's saying you're beloved to God. <coughs> Meaning, so it's see. He's correcting his... He was assuming that the reason why the Gilda hasn't happened was because he had failed. It's not you. Right, it's not you. Not about you. It's like letting somebody down easy. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. But he's saying, now, now understand what I'm about to tell you. So he's going to give him an understanding that his... Un- it's not that there was anything wrong with Daniel. It's that he didn't understand the plan correctly. Right? He, he didn't understand the plan correctly and he... He jumped the gun and assumed that he had caused some problem that he hadn't really caused. It means uh, 70 weeks of years. 490 years. Oh, Right, so this is this, this is where the Nevada starts getting weird Right So um, What does it mean that there's going to be uh, The Shavu, The idea of the 70 weeks of years Shavuim okay. Shiv'im Is sealed uh, For Am Yisrael uh, In order to uh, on, on the Jewish people and on the holy city to end sin and to uh, seal the, uh, the, you know, the iniquity, whatever you want to call it, and to atone and to bring eternal righteousness and to seal the visions of the prophet and to, uh, and to anoint Kodesh HaKodeshi. So, the, the, uh, so, he had a, so what, what's being added here, I don't know if maybe the recording went off because there was somebody called you, I think. I'm not sure it looks like it. Oh. Yeah. So, um... Oh, it's still going. Oh, okay, good. So, it was a, uh... The 70 weeks of years comes out to 490 years, which means that there's going to be seven, the 70 years of Galut Bavel. There's going to be 420 years of Bet HaMikdash. That's a, four, that's a 490 years. So that's how it's understood, at least now. What? Now, people who... People who understood... This nivuah during Bayit Sheni, therefore, expected that at the end of Bayit Sheni, all these things were going to happen, the end of the visions and the prophets and to anoint the Kodesh HaKodeshim forever. Meaning he's telling him that, there, that there's 70 years till the, till the Jews return, but there's still another 420 years before some other major thing is going to happen. Now, they probably assumed that the time when the book was written that that meant that the Mashiach was going to come at the end of Bayit Sheni, period. But it obviously did not. However, there were quite a lot of messianic pretenders that came right around the time, probably based on these prophecies. Oh. Meaning people like, obviously Jesus, but others too. There were all these messianic cults and the Essenes, all, all these strange 
uh, groups that were awaiting Gilad at any moment because they believed that the end of the Beit HaMikdash, second, at, the, at 490 years from the original Galut, there was going to be some transformation. They, they realized that the second Beit HaMikdash was not the be-all and end-all of the, of the process. Right? So um, he's trying to tell them that this is a lot longer process than you thought, and uh, there's more work to be done. Because he was expecting, like, Mashiach is coming any day now and I'm holding it back. And he's saying, first of all, that's not what's going to happen. Right, it's a, you're fine, you didn't do anything wrong. There's actually a 490-year process. There's going to be a return, and then 420 years, and then some major thing is going to happen. The major thing ended up being the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, not the arrival of the Mashiach. Right. And that's why Rabbi Akiva thought... Uh... How does the math work out? Though? It wasn't 490 years after the destruction of the first It's true. There's a bunch of years in there. The way that they, the way that they explain it is that there was almost 100 years between the beginning of the Aliyah from Bavel to Israel and the actual functional Beit HaMikdash. Meaning the people went back and they started to build, but they didn't really build. And then, you know, it was stopped. It started again, and then only when Ezra and Nehemiah arrive in Israel does it really start to get going. So they count the 400, they say that, what the reason why Chazal say 420 years is because they're not counting that intervening 100 years, basically, that there was a, there was like a Yishuv, like the old Yishuv in, in, in Israel. It was not really a, it wasn't really a state. There was a couple generations back in Mizbech, but no Beit HaMikdash. Right, they had no Beit HaMikdash, it was being stopped, it was being thwarted, it wasn't, it's not counting that. If you... Because there's always an issue between the historians, because basically Jewish history cuts 100 years out of the, out, out of the calendar based on like, the history that we know. So uh, the answer that is given by, like, uh, which makes sense, is that that count of the 420 years of the Beit HaMikdash is when it was fully functional, not, not starting from when, it, when Galut Bavel ended, because Galut Bavel ending, they didn't really do anything. They, they came back, started building, were stopped for a long time, restarted again, and didn't really have, like, even during the, the latter Nevi'im said, you're not building houses, you're not doing anything, the Beit HaMikdash is not really moving forward until Ezra and Nehemiah came, which was much later, seemingly about a century later. And that's, that, that, that's how it fits in with calendar. But there's, a, there's 490 years of significance, meaning there's the seven years of the Galut and the 420 years that the Beit HaMikdash stood before it, meaning fully, in its, in fun, fully functional before it was destroyed. How do you translate Shavuim? Seventy weeks, but I mean, it's talking about years, not just seventy weeks. That would be only you know four hundred ninety days. It wasn't talking about five hundred days. Seventy years times seventy. Yeah, I'm saying for the words, how do even shavuim is like shavuot weeks times seventy weeks. Right, but seventy weeks would only be like uh, like a year and a half. It's talking about a future thing. So it's talking about weeks. Of, it means years. The 70 weeks of years, meaning 70, it means, I'm sorry, seven, right, 70 weeks of years, meaning 490 years. A week of years is seven years. Yeah. 70 of those is 490 years. That's, that's how the prophecy is generally understood, is understood by everyone. Because otherwise it would be saying something happening a year from now, and a half from now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, like Mitzudat Tzion says, Shemitot Misheva Shanis. It means 70 Shemitot. 
Shemitot? Yeah, meaning 70 uh, times. Seven. Hmm? Okay. And then there's going to be some cataclysmic thing that is going to... So you would have read this and said, oh, it means that there's going to be Tzedek Olamim and it's going to close the, the, the prophets, meaning it's going to be the end of everything and everything is going to be wonderful, but instead uh, it doesn't go that way. But they were expecting that. That was what was possible. So therefore, there was a messianic expectation towards the end of the Bayechini, but it wasn't realized. Bar Kokhba. So this is when the Bar Kokhba involved happened those two or three years after. That was after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. Seven months. He was still, yeah, because that, they were, he was alive. Rabbi Akiva was alive at the Beit HaMikdash. Yeah. Rabbi Akiva was alive, and Bar Kokhba wasn't at the end of his life. It was, it was right around here. It was a considerable time after. Wait, why do you say that? It was years, it was many years. What year was the Bar Kokhba? It was probably a year, if the destruction was 68, it was like 130. It was like 50 years old. You're sure about that? Because if you take the stories in the Gemara, like, like, you go walking on Harbaid. But I think he was very young when it was destroyed. I don't think it was, uh, he must have been young when it was destroyed. He was young when it was destroyed. Then he had students, his students died. Maybe the Bar Kokhba result was his students dying in the fight with, he died in 135 CE. Who did? Bar Kokhba. I don't know if he walked on Harbaid after he was destroyed. It doesn't say he walked on Harbaid. Now Ben Vir goes up there and says. He, he was standing there and he saw animals. He just, yeah. Yeah. Seems like the animals yeah, walked on the Kodesh Kodeshim. The animals are the ones that walked on Harbaid. They walked on the Kodesh Kodeshim. The animals are the ones that walked on Harbaid. Even Kodesh Kodeshim like a pharmacy go to the wrong spot. It's okay for a fox to go on the Kodesh Kodeshim. Actually, technically, it's not a yeah, exactly. Muslim kids, it turns out. Okay, let's keep on. We're okay. going to finish the one right here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, you want to read so you can uh, move us along here? You're doing fine, man. Let's start with the first one. Yeah, so this is where it gets uh, um, where it gets uh, very like enigmatic. To no one understand from the beginning of the thing to return and to build Jerusalem ad Mashiach Nagid until an anointed prince, whatever the, until an anointed prince comes, whatever that means. Shavuim Shiva. It's going to be four hundred and ninety years, and. Um, the Shavuim Shishimushnaim, so 62 of those weeks. So, how many years is 62 times 7? Wait, Shavuim Shivim Shiva, I thought it was different. Or, yeah, well, oh, wait, did I say Shivim? Yeah. I meant, oh, yeah, Shiva, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so that, sorry, so that's, right, so that's 49, right, the 49 years, right. So, the interpretation that they usually give of the 49 years is that it's talking about, um, the uh, Koresh's arrival on the on the scene, and um, that that's gonna that the rising that he's the Mashiach Nagid, the Mashiach Nagid because Koresh is called the Mashiach, right? So forty nine years in, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have uh, Koresh arise, and then Veshavuim Shishimushnaim, and then the rest of the time, okay, that were really sixty. There's still one one Shavuot left, I guess. But then you have the 62. What's 62 times 7 exactly? 434. Is that right? Yeah. 
So for and, uh, that Tashuv uh, you'll return and the the Rechov uh, Becharutz will be built. So what does Rechov Becharutz? What does he say Rechov Becharutz means? That uh, digging. Right, moats and squares will be built, but it'll be bitsokaitim, it'll be at troubled times. What's moats? Hmm? What's moats? Like, uh, you know, there's, there's, like, there's like around, around palaces, they have like the deep ditch that's ditch. in front of it, yeah, that you can't cross. Yeah. Right, so it's saying that, that Koresh is going to rise up, and then there's going to be 434 years, but they're going to be years that are not very pleasant. Meaning, the time of the second Beit HaMikdash was not a very good time, even though it was, uh, there was a Beit HaMikdash. But they, had, they didn't have the Kotel the whole time, that's why. That must be the reason. Right? That, so that's the, uh, so the idea is, that he's, he's, this is obviously, we're looking at it, hindsight, and interpreting and reading the prophecies, knowing what already happened during the Bayachini. But this is obviously describing the period of Bayachini. It's describing that there's going to be this Mashiach Nagi, this anointed ruler um, that is going to, uh, is going, 49 years into the time of the, uh, of the Galut Bavil is going to arise. And that eventually the, uh, is going to pave the way for this, this Beit HaMikdash to be around or this rebuilding of this Yishuv to be around. And that Yishuv is going to last only, uh, is going to be during troubled times. For those 62 years, 62 uh, weeks of years. So then this Mashiach is going to be cut off. What Mashiach is actually talking about here is not clear because it's much later, right, than, than the earlier one. So the, the interpretation usually that's given of this, this has, to happen, has to do either with the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash or with the um, or with the uh, or with the Greeks, and I think most of the interpretations lean towards interpreting in terms of the uh, Syrian Greek domination uh, towards the you know the middle of the uh, the period of the Byzantine. Um, they do, of course. It, it's it's the it fits right into their whole thing because it's basically saying at the end of the at the end of the period of the uh, towards the end of the period of the Beit Hamikdash, there's going to be this uh, anointed ruler. So they think that it's that it's going to be him. So I want to read what this that Mikra says. Uh, I don't think so. Let's see what they say here. I want to see how they who they read this as being about here because I didn't I don't have this book. Says, um, yeah, he says, Right, they, they say that the Ralbag says it means that the Kohen Mashiach, it means the Kohen Gadol, meaning that it's going to, the, the, meaning that at the end of the times of this Beit HaMikdash period, the coin Gadol is going to be gone. That's the Mashiach, where it says, Yikaret Mashiach Ve'enol, there won't be any more service in the Beit HaMikdash. And, um, and then the city will be destroyed. So that would seem to refer to possibly the Romans. Could be that it's also referring to the period before that, during the Greek, uh, Greek domination. Usually, most of the modern Mepharshim assume that the, the descriptions that are going on 
don't extend past the Greeks. Don't actually extend to the Romans, but end with the Chashmonai. And uh, so it says, Am Nagid Ababikitsoba Shetef. How does he interpret that? No, I don't have my go to Ralbag anymore. I have to look at other. Uh... It's talking about a. a uh... And will be swept away in a flood. And that's what it says. So who's the Am Nagid Aba? Ve'ad ketz milchama until the end of the... Is that what it says? That's what they say. So they're learning that it's the Romans. That's what she says. Nechretzet shomimot. Right? So that's the... Uh, it will be uh, a pit of desolation. Something to that effect, right? Yeah, so that would mean that it's talking about the Romans then. That the next powerful nation comes and its end will be in a, like a, a wiping, a, a, a flooding away. Until the end of the war, nechretzet shomemot. Cheretz shel shomemot. A cutting of destruction. Vigbir brit l'arabim shavua echad. V'chatziya shavua yeshbit zevach u'mincha v'yal knaf shikutzim mishomem v'yad kala v'nechretza. See, this is the reason why it sounds so much like it's talking about um, it's talking about uh, Antiochus and not about the Greeks. Because it says for half of a year, half of a Shavua, um, there will be a, uh, the Zevach uh, Umincha will be stopped. And half of Shavua is the three and a half years of the oppression of Antiochus, the, of the Jews. So it seems like it makes sense that it's talking about the Greeks, not about the Romans. But then the timeline is harder to match up. And on the corner of the... Uh, and on the corner, that they're going to put like an idol in the, seemingly in the Beit HaMikdash. There'll be a pouring out. But how does it translate it? There will be an appalling abomination until the decreed destruction will pour it down upon the appalling Right, so that's why they try to say that that's talking about the Greeks because it fits with the idea of the oppression of the, of the you know, from the time of Hanukkah. Right, so the difficulty, I think, for me, is understanding how to line up the, the, uh, the 434 years. Because in... If we're looking at the 434 years as describing a time, basically a little bit more, let's say, of the second Beit Hamikdash, then what it was? It was like 200 years before that, meaning right in the middle of the times of the second Beit Hamikdash that the that the uh, Antiochus story happened. It was somewhere like around 150 to 200 years before the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash, right? A little more. How much? Closer to 200 years. Yeah. So, if that's the case, so then why would it mention, unless this is overlapping, basically. But it says, Achare. Oh, I guess you could read it that way still. I guess you could read it that way still. Because it's saying that the, the Kohen Gadol will be cut off, that, that the city will return and be built for those 62 weeks. Okay? And at the end of the 62 weeks, there won't be any more Kohen. And it says... 
a nation will come and its, and its destruction will be in a, in a sweeping away, that doesn't necessarily mean at the end. Because it's not necessarily talking about the end anymore. Right. And then it says, right. So for seven years, there will be a, an increasing of the breeds. What does that mean? So he, he wants to say that it's Titus. It's talking about Titus. But... Um, Antiochus was exactly 200 years. Exactly, 200 years before that. Yeah, so it could be overlapping. It's, just, it's too hard. It's difficult to say that that last part is not talking about Antiochus. It has to be. So how do they interpret it here? Let's say Big Beer. Shua Big Beer. Am Nagid. Brit Rabim Yisrael Shavu Echad Shoshanim. So I'm guessing that probably what it's talking about is that... Yeah, it says here, V'katuv nitan nitparesh al Brit Shaita Antiochus Epipanes Im Rashea Mityavnim. Because originally they had all kinds of deals with the with the uh, with the Syrian Greeks before Antiochus kind of went crazy and decided to start persecuting the Jews. So probably that's what it's talking about. Then it's talking about the period of time where there was a covenant made, and that's why the Jews were surprised actually when Antiochus became so ruthless against them. Because in the beginning, the Syrian Greeks traditionally had a very benevolent. Um, relationship with the Jews and sort of allowed them to keep their religion throughout that time. And then all of a sudden, after some really embarrassing defeats of Antiochus, he was in a very, very bad mood and he became like, he really turned on the Jews. Probably because, I assume, not just because he needed their money, but also because a lot of them probably sided with his enemies and he was angry. You know, I think there was some internal strife and people who liked him and people who hated him. And so when he came, you know, when he found out about that, he took it out on them and he became... Uh, extreme in the persecution. So that's what it must be talking about then. I don't think it's really, even though Rashi says it's talking about the Romans, it's much harder to fit into the storyline than talking about the Romans. It, it makes more sense that it's talking about the Greeks because of the part at the end of the three and a half. Any thoughts about that? I mean, you know, this is very technical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like of the essence of the Nivuah. The point of the Nivuah or of the vision is to tell Daniel that he is, that he shouldn't assume that the length of the Galut that he's holding back like the Mashiach coming any day and it's all his fault. It's because the plan is a lot more convoluted and complex than he assumed that it was. That's all. Right? That's, the main, that's the main thrust of the, of, of the vision. Um, I'm yeah. curious as to whenever there's math brought down like this, which is not often. Yeah. I feel like that, like, all these forced explanations are trying to give in Everyone comes up with their arithmetic and nothing adds up perfectly. We try to, you know, a lot of the answers seem to force. So it's a little puzzling as to why, like, Daniel would be incorporated into the Tanakh at all. Like, mm-hmm. Given that his, these in the vote that we're reading, they seem to, at least on the superficial level, lend more support to the counter arguments. The same way you're saying, Jesus, Jesus uses this as like, the core of their argument. But a superficial reading is, is very supportive of the fact that these Nevoat came true at that time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not finishing my talk. Aside from the fact that most of the subject matter is very relevant for that time, it's a, it's a history that it's very hard for us to reconcile it now. This becomes not lessons to be learned. This is more like history. Now, from our perspective, the significance of this Nevoah has expired, and we're just trying to force an explanation to have it even jive. 
Right. So I think the main point is like I was saying to Moshe before, in a way, the, uh, we're, when we're in the Chorba synagogue this morning, we're talking about how the specificity of the Nevo'ot in a way shows you how limited Daniel is. Because the Nevi'im that are these, the, like Yishayahu, Yirmiyahu, these Nevi'im have these grand visions. And as part of this grand, the vision is so grand and so broad-minded that even the descriptions of the future are almost in these idyllic terms. You know, they're not really in detailed, highly specific numbers and all of that. You don't see that. Except for the Shibim Shana of, of, of uh, Galut. You don't usually see such specific details. So the fact that he's having a specific detailed report is actually in a way a lowering of the Nebuah because it's not, it's almost like a, it's more like a Ruach HaKodesh about what's going to happen in the relatively near future than what's going to happen at the end of days. My question is more, why incorporate this into Tanakh? It's so atypical of any Sefer Tanakh, even the later period, later, the ones that occurred later, mm-hmm. even the story of uh, Esther, mm-hmm. at least there's, there's a lot to learn. It's not, it wasn't significant for that time. But this is, uh, this, yeah. is this is a history yeah. lesson. Especially if they incorporate this into Tanakh um, post the Sefer Tanakh? Well, no, it was already in the Tanakh before. Almost Seemingly. Presumably, yeah, it was around the same time as what was going on. It's times of the right. So maybe it was... A little bit, but it would have been before. Or the actual at least event. redact the book to the, to the first half of these significant chapters. Okay, so that's, it's a good question. So what, what's the answer to that question? So the question is, why include a book? For posterity. Okay, let me put your... Can I put your question differently? And you tell me if this I, is your I, question. I, I prefer you. I'm going to put it this way, and you tell me if this is what you're asking. I'm not sure. Just, just say it is what you're asking from now. No, no. I want to know. Is this what you're asking? I want to know. Since, since most books of Tanakh... Oh, let's say all. Let's say all books of Tanakh are in... Te- are, Literally, it's on my dream. And all books of the Tanakh are, are intended to be for posterity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what makes them. Therefore, the therefore, we would we only we would expect that any particular book of Tanakh has to contain con- the content of the book has to be relevant beyond beyond you know to our time. It has, has to be re- relevant for all future generations. Right. Right. And this book seems to be describing events that at least short, let's say, ha- half a millennium after it was written, are no longer relevant. Does it sister? That is the question. Yeah. And I conflated it, the question, with another question, which is not, I don't even need an answer, but I'll just throw it out there, which is, it's, once we get to the topic of numbers and years and calculations, we're opening up Pandora's box of Mis- misinterpretation, yeah. fuzzy math, forced, you know, we, well, missing four well, years, we're not, so we're borrow four right, years, we're not forced to get an Imahot and right. No, but we're not actually forced to. I don't think that we're. I don't think that we are forced to uh, read every detail of these dreams as having corresponding in some way to highly detailed. Uh, That's all the machines seem to be trying right. to do. They do, but I'm saying that it, it, because they want to explain why it's written the way that it is. But I don't think that there's a that we have a moral obligation. Uh, 70 weeks of years, therefore it has to fit the number of years perfectly and every detail has to work out perfectly because 
as far as I'm concerned, Ruach HaKodesh is giving a general picture. It's giving a general roadmap. It's showing that there was this process that was going to happen in, in, uh, uh, in it. It doesn't have to be exactly 490 years either. Yeah, it could so be 490 weeks of years. It's, it's a symbolic number. It's a symbolic say, number. Sometime in distant, distant future. Seven times 70. You know, like Right. Means something, right. So first of all, it could, right, you could read it all together as a symbolic number and not even literal. But even if you're going to read it literal, even if you're going to take it literally, it means about 500 years from now. Or what, and it's using the number seven, which is always you know, used for creation, for, for transition, transformation, whatever you want to say. It's a symbolic number. And, to try, and the, the descriptions are specific enough that we can line it up with historical events that did happen during that time, general enough that you have a range of interpretations and it wouldn't have been definitely certain to the people of that time or to people now what it's referring to. Um, therefore, you have the range of different uh, readings. And, but, the, but the other question that you asked, why bother? So some of the Nivolt and Ishayah were also only for his time and yet they're recorded for all time. Like he, he had certain Nivolt for certain nations that disappeared off the face of the earth. Moab, whatever. Different Nivolt. Why did we keep those as part of Tanakh? You know, because there's something in the Nivu'ah or there's something in the vision, there's something in the content that is universal, even if it's not, um, it might not be the historical information because we don't really need that, but the way that the Navi views the historical information. For one thing I would say, right, for one thing I would say, a principle you could learn from these visions is that we're very impatient. Meaning, we, lo- we have a very short attention span or a very short amount of time that we're willing to consider when we're looking at God's plan. Okay? And I think that's one of the things you can learn from here. In other words, you know, so Daniel, you think that the that the Gil hasn't come, right? I wanted to ask that question the first five minutes of the class because yeah. we were just talking about Mashiach and Mechad Latino. Yeah. So this would be a case against us because we also learned it in our uh, Kohelet class. Every generation, every generation thinks that we're on the cutting edge of history. Right. We're the ones we've been waiting for. Yeah. Right. right. Obama quote. That's it. Um, I recognized it. Right. Um, so, what Daniel failed to realize is that so wasn't correct, right? You're, 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 you're right. So I too think. Narrow, so I feel like. I think there were two we, things. We the same mistake today. You know what's really funny? That I just thought of. Not only could you say that, not only is that part of it, that, that, you know, that our, our sense of what history means, or what, 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 not even history, what destiny, what God's plan means quantitatively is very off, because we, we have a very limited vision. So the idea that Daniel thinks it's going to happen any day and it's really going to happen in 500 years from now is like a shock for him. Okay? But we were the same in thinking that things are going to happen quickly. But there's another thing, which is that Maybe part of the idea is, yeah, in the, we can look back and say, oh yeah, this is probably Antiochus, this is probably this, this is referring to the period that was very difficult during Baichini. This vision is so vague that nobody could really have anticipated much specific from these words because they could be interpreted in so many different ways. Only in retrospect, we can look back and try to read into it, but that's part of the point. I mean, in other words, not only is the game of Geulah a very long game and requires a lot of uh, patience and not assuming that things are going to happen so quickly because remember, in God's, as far as God's concerned, a thousand years or one minute or uh, it's all the same. You know? So from our perspective, it's frustrating, but also that uh, when we look back, we, we're looking forward, 
the, the degree to which we can have a sense of the specifics of how things will play out is very limited. And even Daniel, who's working with Ruach HaKodesh, the best he can get are these kind of encoded messages that give a very general picture. So when we look back, we're like, oh, this is Antiochus, this is this, this, this you know. And actually in the 11th chapter, it's even more, because there's even more like super detailed stuff about the politics that for sure is talking about the Greek, uh, you know, the Hellenistic period and Egypt and, 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 uh, and, the, uh, and the Greeks. The Syrian Greeks. Huh? Right, that that's, that's yeah, seems almost you know certain that that's what's talking about, uh, but from the perspective of Daniel, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook. Like, what's he supposed to make out of all these details of this one married this one and this one went to fight this, but it didn't work, so they fought again, so they became like, why are you giving him all of these details if not to just show him that it's a messy process? We can look back and say, wow, there was truth to the vision, there was truth to the dreams that he had. From our perspective, we can fill in the details, but from his perspective, all it meant was there's a lot here that's beyond your ability really to calculate. You're sitting and calculating numbers and years and expecting a particular result at a particular time. When in reality, the uh, range of time that we're speaking about is much longer and the complexity of the process is much greater. So even his best vision is only understandable and decodable to us after the, completely after the fact. But to him, wouldn't have been, the, you know, if you look at this from the perspective, we're trying to read in historical information as Monday, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks. He, he didn't have, he couldn't have possibly known what any of this meant, except that it's telling him that whatever is going to happen is going to take a really long time. And that's one of the, that's one of the principles I think um, it's important to keep in mind. We don't know how soon the Geulah, yeah, it could be Rashid Tzmichat Geulatenu, uh, in 500 years from now. Meaning this could be the Rashid and the Sof could be uh, 300 years from now. We don't know. So the, uh, and, and that's part of the, that's part of the message perhaps that, he, that he's getting. We only have very, very general outlines. It would be too simplistic or too purist to say that he wasn't talking about something that's already happened that he's really talking about. There are some Mepharshim that do say that, especially about the end part, when it's talking about, you know, let's, you know, clearly that whatever the 490 years ending in some kind of a, uh, uh, you know, in some kind of a tumultuous ending is already passed. Years, 490 centuries, and, yeah. just, it, it would make the ideas of these more eternal. Right. None um, of the Mepharshim read it as that far in the future. Um, so I wouldn't assume that, and especially because it does seem to coincide with some things that actually happen. So whenever you see that, you sort of say, okay, the, the tribulations of the period of the Bayit Sheni and, you know, and all of the political and religious issues that have during Bayit Sheni seem to be alluded to here. So it does fit very well with some kind of sense. I don't think that Daniel, Daniel would have, you know, even the greatest Nevi'im, when they, the further they speak into the future, the, less, the more dif- diffuse the vision. You know, but that and and they're speaking from the broadest uh, perspective possible. So Daniel, to think that Daniel in his Ruach Hakodesh is going to be able to see to thousands of years later, is itself hard to imagine. Why would he have such a power to be able to see so far into the future? It makes more sense to me that someone who just has Ruach Hakodesh would have somewhat of a limp. That meaning everything he sees. Let's put it this way: everything he sees is an outgrowth to, or an evolution from what he already knows. 
meaning the, the kingdom you currently live in is going to be taken over by another kingdom that you already recognize. And that kingdom is going to, you know, is going to do this and then this is going to happen. Meaning it's still within his frame of reference. But saying that he's talking about, you know, uh, 21st century United States of America and Saudi Arabia is uh, much harder to, to, to envision. Another suggestion, I could be way off, I could be even like going into dangerous territory with this. Uh-oh. <coughs> Pause the recording. Is um, maybe this had been like canonized around this time frame before Qurban Abayit. Because mm-hmm. we know we've, we have copies of you know, Tanakh as we know it found in Qumran and other places. And maybe it was the same way we say Yechestel could have been the Mashiach. Maybe Chizkiyahu could have been the Mashiach. Maybe they thought that these were the final... No, they for sure thought that. I don't think there's a question. I'm saying Daniel was incorporated into the, into the Tanakh because they thought... This, say right around now is going to be when Mashiach turned This was chronologically the last of, of Sifrei Tanakh because this is talking about the true Ketzayami, which was supposed to be then, mm-hmm. and history just didn't play out that way. I think that, what's the problem know, with that? To say that, you know, the Chachamim were, had, got, ended up were, were wrong in their assessment, in their judgment. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong, because you can always say that, uh, and meaning uh, a prophecy can be, can be told by a Navi, um, and then because the people are not worthy of the fulfillment of the prophecy, so it gets deferred to the future. Not necessarily that they were wrong, now, I don't know, the, the pasuk that stands out as the most problematic is that when it says that this is going to, in pasuk, uh, in Perikatet pasuk kafdalet, where it talks about um, at the end of these 40, 490 years, we're assuming it is, it's going to be, there's going to be a cutting, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be cut, meaning it's fixed 490 years, that sin is going to end, and there's going to be a, a, a seal, an ending of, of chet and, and a kaparat avon, and that there's going to be eternal tzedek and all that. It sounds like it means Mashiach is going to come, right? The, the way that the Mefarshim now interpret it, you know, in, in retrospect, is, oh, it means that, no, that there's going to be a galut again. Meaning, <clears throat> when it says 490, there's going to be a galut again in order to end Pesha and in order to stop sin and in order to atone for, uh, you know, for Avon and to bring Tzedek Olamim, meaning at the end of the second Galut. Right, meaning that's talking about future, future that hasn't happened yet. Meaning in the times of, it's probably likely that this Pasuk was read at the time it was written to mean that at the end of Bayat Shani there's going to be the Mashiach, which is what they definitely thought and why they thought Jesus and all that. Right now, looking back, that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, and we're you know now looking back, reading the pasuk differently, assuming that it's a genuine vision, right, given to Daniel. So then, what it means that seven four hundred ninety years are cut for your people and for your city means that that's when it's going to be destroyed in order to meaning there's going to have to be another period of cleansing of all of these sins in order to seal all of the visions of the prophets. Meaning now we're saying that, well, obviously it didn't come true in 490 after the, uh, you know, after the Galut uh, Bavel. So it must mean that at the end of the Galut Bavel, it doesn't mean that good things are going to happen. It's saying that another tragedy or another tumultuous period is going to happen in order to purify the people before the Tzedek Olamim comes. And that's how basically Jewish people shifted in interpreting it. Because Nifuot are not... Um, Nifuot are always written in a way that leave it up to a certain extent to human choice. 
So it's quite possible that that nevuah was intended, or that vision was intended to inspire the people to transform by Cheney period into something really great that would have brought the Geulah. But since it wasn't, so now the nevuah actually was just prophesying that there needs to be a cleansing of sin and sin didn't happen during by Cheney. has to happen now. You know, in other words, that's not, not necessarily a problem because visions of the even nevuot, actual nevuot by actual nevi'im will predict something and then the meaning has to be revised because the people are not zochet. Like Yishayahu Tzachizkiah was the best example. And uh, I think that, that could be applied here too. Meaning you can see, you can literally see how this puzzle could be written, could be read, either as saying at the end of the Beit HaMikdash, at the second Beit HaMikdash period, there will be a Mashiach coming, or that at the end of the second Beit HaMikdash period, there's going to be another period of destruction and, and, and starting over again. Recalibration. Right, recalibration. Yeah, rerouting. Exactly. So, that, so that's what ended up happening with the reading of the Book of Daniel uh, as a result of the historical, well, you know, the way well, history turned well, out. I always use these, these prophecies like the Mashiach at the end of time, there's going to be one Mashiach, and that's it. So why can't Mashiach be just someone that helps the generation get to a greater understanding of the other time? Better question, why do we even need a Mashiach? Meaning, what, of course we need you. Of course we need you. No, but they had no Mashiach, they had a Beit so why can't we do the same? Um... Well, we were saying the other night, like Mashiach is not really a, uh, is not really, um, the, the Torah talks about Acharit that in the end, all the Jewish people are going to return to God, fulfill the Torah, fulfill the mitzvot, and there's going to be a, a redemption, a re, you know, a, 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 a basically a renaissance, spiritual renaissance of Am Yisrael, and, and everything is going to be wonderful after a long galut. It says in the Torah, right? Moshe Rabbeinu says in the Torah that's going to happen. That you're going, that's going to, we read it on Tisha B'Av. Kitolim banim u'bnei banim, you know, and, and so on. And then in the end, v'shavtat Hashem Elohecha v'shamata b'kolo, that's going to occur and then everyone's going to return. That's never happened. Never happened. Okay? So we know that it's yet to happen. Now there were many opportunities for that to happen. You could say, well, Moshe Rabbeinu said that was going to happen, it hasn't happened. There were many times in history where it might have seemed possible for that to happen. I think in the times of the Hashmonaim, part of what Daniel talks about in the visions as they become more and more specific as the book goes on, is the, pos- the potential that existed during the chaos of Bayit Sheni for real Geulah to occur. And the Nevi'im, Chagai and Malachi and Zachariah definitely believed there was potential for the Bayit Sheni to transition and be transformed into Bayit Shlishi if the people would do the right thing. That's in the hands of the people. But how do actual movements start, practically speaking? With leaders. With leaders, always. There has to be someone who's the leader that makes it happen. We have a natural, uh, let's say, um, somewhat of a, uh, uh, a distaste for the messianic idea because it's become tainted by other religions and other movements that deify these, uh, uh, these kind of leaders. But at the end of the day, a leader who's going to teach the truth and is going to move people towards uh, a, a new... I'll give you an example. And forgive me for this example. Don't, you know, it's not a, uh, the ideal example, maybe for many reasons, okay? But I'm giving this example as an, a for instance. When I, whenever I think of what would a Mashiach leader look like, and ma- in many ways not, okay? But Donald what... Trump. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, No. That would, maybe that's Antiochus. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Mashiach. No, he, I, I think of uh, he's more like Achashverosh actually. Uh, no, I, 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 I think of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. because he's somebody 
who really almost single-handedly, he had a small group of, of, of helpers, really changed for his community the way, you know, their standing in American society, civil rights, he, he was an incredible orator, he inspired people to action, and he also forced basically the American government to, uh, uh, to do what was right, you know, at that time. So that's, I think of him as my example, as like a modern kind of a Moshe Rabbeinu or whoever you think of as the transformative leader, like a, rede- a redemptive leader. Right? He had a lot of per, you know, there are things about him that maybe were not perfect. But when I think about someone who can effectually change, the civil, let's say the fact that today in America, it's embarrassing to be a racist. Right? People say, I'm not racist, but whatever, whatever they say after the but. But I hate right, right, right. So the, the, the I, I'm not a racist thing, you think they would have said that in 1950? I am a racist. Okay, I, I'm pro-segregation. Right. What's wrong racist. with being a racist? What, what, why are you saying I can't? That, that changed because of the civil rights movement and that was the, to, the, to the credit of, I, I single out in my mind Martin Luther King Jr. even though obviously he didn't do it alone. But his oratory and his efforts and his self-sacrifice, going to jail, doing all these things, all the stuff that he did to push the agenda of redeeming his people, so to speak. You know, it's a kibayachol, but it's similar. Okay? So Moshe Rabbeinu, Again, the Havdil, we're not comparing them, but neither would he compare himself to Moshe Rabbeinu. But if you look at Moshe Rabbeinu, but he did look to him as a model, you know, and Moshe Rabbeinu was a person who basically fought for, you know, uplifted his people, gave them the courage to be willing to follow him, fought against the people who were repressing him, and won their redemption. Obviously, it was from Hashem, you know, but the, the idea that there could be transformative change in a society in terms of values and perspective but it happens as a result of a leader. Always there's a leader who facilitates it. They didn't do everything, he didn't do everything. He needed the people, he needed his assistants, he had a whole team, but he was the leader. He educated them, he brought them to the point where they were you know, able to get what they deserved, needed. And, that's, and, and to change, basically, he, effect, he, he put the ball in motion that resulted in the society we live in today, which obviously is not perfect either, but at least is not like rabidly racist and, uh, and unjust to the core and corrupt like, uh, like it was before. Because when you see, when you take a look at what was going on in the South and, uh, and you know, before the civil rights movement and even after, there was still a lot of resistance. It's pretty, it's pretty scary. It's pretty horrible. So like, uh, you know, the way that they acted and forget about during the times of slavery. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, I, to me, he's an example that shows you that you need a figure like that. And that's why it says about the Mashiach, or whatever you want to call him, in Yishayahu, that he's going to strike the earth, Beshevet Piv. Okay, it's going to be the power of speech, the power of teaching, inspiration that he's going to bring, and the insight he's going to bring, that's going to change the world. And obviously there's going to be resistance, just like there was resistance to Martin Luther King, and there was violent resistance to it. And he was killed. Okay, so like, the, you know, the, the idea that there's resistance is not a surprise, but that there's going to be some leader, that I think is necessary. And that's why, um, even though we don't deify a Mashiach, and we don't believe a dead Mashiach is a Mashiach, and the Rambam even says, if the Mashiach, if the person who could have been the Mashiach dies, he wasn't the Mashiach. That's what, he says it straight out in those words. But this, he's killed. Right, he's killed, or is doesn't... Right. Is that Oh, is that what they actually It says, or if he's killed. Right, he's meaning, killed but... It, but the point is, if, if, he, if he's no longer available, 
to do his job, then he didn't do it. That's it. Practically speaking, the future Mashiach. We don't. The way I like to put it when I talk, when I talk to Christians, I always say, we don't believe that the Mashiach is a person chosen and designated as Mashiach. We believe the Mashiach is a person who acts and becomes Mashiach, not that they were the Mashiach and now they're called to do something. They act in a certain way that earns them the title of Mashiach. Once the person achieved, that's why I say that to us, Jesus can't be the Mashiach because he didn't achieve what the Mashiach is supposed to do. He didn't transform the world the way he was supposed to. He didn't rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, bring the Jews to Israel, teach the Torah, into any of that stuff. So therefore, and, and there's not peace on earth and there's not all of the stuff that's supposed to happen in the times of Mashiach. So he couldn't have done it. The person who does that is the Mashiach. It's not that you're the Mashiach, everyone has to accept you and then you're going to do it. No, no, no. It's that you do it and you achieve it and then, by default, you're the Mashiach. That's all. It's very simple. Like, you don't start medical school on the first day and say, I'm a doctor. That's not how it works. First, you pass all the tests, you do everything you need to, and after 10 years, or however many years it takes, you say, I'm a doctor. And so the, uh, so that, that's why I think an, a leader is necessary. I think there's a danger in uh, any kind of leader who is a cultish type of leader and human beings want that. But like, if you look at, again, Martin Luther King, as an example, they never made a cult out of him. They never worshipped him. They never thought he was a magic man. They never thought he had magical powers. They never lined up to get brachot from him, even though he was a, past, a minister. You know, they never did any of that stuff. And so you see that it's possible to be a charismatic leader with good values who's really trying to change the world in a positive way for the sake of people who are in need uh, without becoming that kind of a cult leader because he was able to do it. And, and to me, that's, uh, that, that's why I use him as an example of what, what a messianic figure could look like in Judaism <laughs> and why it's necessary. Okay? Now we're behind schedule. I know. Oh, it's okay. We'll be able to. We'll be able to make it up. We only have. We'll do one more. We only have what three more. We can do one tonight. Yeah. And do the Q and A. We'll be able to start the next one or no? Um. The short one. Let's start it. Not short, is it? I think it's really long, isn't it? No, no. The short one. There's another one as long. Twenty-one. Let's do it. Yeah. Four fifty. No, you have to. Oh, you don't have to go yet. Okay. You don't have to go yet. Have to go in five minutes. Okay. Let's do it. Bishnat shel sukkor koresh melech. Haras. Five, no? That's a Okay. Still in class, right? yeah. so, five, five. so this is for, fast forwarding even more. It's already Koresh's reign. Davar Daniel, Asher He hasn't been called that in a while. It was uh, an issue of a great war or a great army. And Uvinata uh, Devar and he reflected on it and he reflected on the he reflected on the matter and he reflected on the vision. <clears throat> okay? Um, but what is it why is it in the that form? Okay Okay. So he um In order to understand, Rashi says it means In order to understand the matter, he showed it to him in the vision. That's what it means. I was mourning for three weeks. 
ימים, היא says this time, not Shavuim, I mean more. לחם חמודות לא אכלתי, I didn't eat tasty food, and I used the word חמודות, which he was called before, ובשר ויין לא ואיל פי, וסוך לא סחתי. I didn't have meat or wine, I didn't anoint myself, עד מילות שלושת שבועים ימים, it was not the three weeks of, before Tisha B'Av, obviously, because it would be an anachronism that didn't exist yet, because that was from Bayit Sheni, the Shiva Zavatamos, וביום עשרים וארבעה לחודש הראשון, on the 24th day of, of Nisan, which means he must have been fasting on, on Pesach, which is interesting. I didn't have wine. I was by the, uh, he didn't have any arba kosot, and he didn't have, uh, and he didn't have yom tov meat, and he didn't have, uh, but he didn't eat lechem, which was probably good on, uh, on Pesach. And so he was by the river, badim. I saw a person who was wearing, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, badim is like um, linen uh, robes, like it talks about in, uh, in, in the, the Kohanim. Umotnav chagorim bechetem ufaz. And he was, he had a belt of, uh, his, his loins were girded, I guess is the word, bechetem ufaz, with some kind of a, uh, a fine gold, right? Some so kind of a... What loins girded They... They used to, um, if, yeah, no, if you, if you ever look up girding your loins, have you seen that before? Yes. Oh, they, maybe you did, yeah. I had seen it on, online and then you sent it, yeah, what girding your loins mean? Okay, show them. Um, his body was ketarshish. It was like a type of a stone. Um, and his face, what is it called? Beryl? Yeah, and his, his face was Kemarei Barak. What? Barak means, it says lightning, what does that mean? Yeah, it was shining. His eyes were shining like lightning, and his eyes were like fire, his arms and his legs, they were like uh, shiny uh, brass. And his voice was very loud. It sounded like a, the sound of a multitude. It was very loud. I saw this vision, but the people with me did not see it. So he's having a hallucination, like a, a, some kind of a vision, and it might be wakeful, but they couldn't see it. But they did get very scared, and they ran away. So somehow he's having a vision, they can sense that something's going on, but they don't know what it is, but he sees the vision. I saw the great vision, I wasn't able to stand. I, I didn't have any energy. I Meaning, it overwhelmed him. And my glory turned into destruction. Meaning, I was like, um, I wasn't able to uh, to compose, stay composed. It seems like my face uh, became like uh, my appearance became like uh, uh, from from being dignified to being uh, in, in somehow uh, ruined. Um, uh, like the way that you could tell when a person is disturbed, like they don't, they don't look, they don't look right. I couldn't hold on to my strength. I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face. Um, I fell asleep on my face. Literally, it means a hand touched me. It raised me up to my uh, uh, onto my uh, my knees and my hands. Daniel, beloved man, understand the things that I'm speaking to you and stand on your place. Now I've been sent to you. And when he said these things to me, I was standing shaking. He was like trembling. 
Because from the first day that you began to uh, try to understand and to fast before your God, your words were heard. I came because of your words. Okay? So the, seemingly what's going on here is that Daniel, because it was the beginning of Koresh's reign, and things were not progressing no, again. He's in the third year of Koresh. Of course, this is the last year. Right? Right, so during that time, Koresh had started the building of the Beit HaMikdash in the beginning, right? And then what happened with Koresh? He he pulled back from it. He didn't allow it to continue on. So that was probably the background to what was disturbing Daniel, that it seemed like things were finally moving forward, and again, uh, things got stalled, and perhaps because of that, uh, Daniel is feeling upset and he's, feel, and he's fasting and he's considering maybe that there's something again has occurred that's holding the Geula back from progressing forward. Okay, so should we stop here because it's five and continue um, when, with the actual vision? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, the vision doesn't start until two more to keep going. I guess. No. Okay, so we're going to stop. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll stop. Okay.